Welcome to Holistic Trauma Healing, a podcast that empowers you to heal trauma in the same way it has affected you as a whole person. I am Lindsay Lockett, your host. I have discovered a profound path to healing trauma that allows us to move out of the role of victim and into the role of empowered and conscious creator of our best possible reality. I offer hope, healing insights, and practical tips as you get to the root of how trauma has affected every part of your existence and how to weave a new web of life that isn't ruled by the past. Hello, dear friends and listeners of this podcast. I'm so grateful that you're joining me today. As I am grateful that you join me for every episode, I don't take it lightly that you could spend your time doing literally anything and you choose to spend your time here with me, learning, growing, healing our shit, unpacking hard stuff, excavating hard stuff. Like I don't take that lightly. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and also take a moment and thank yourself. Again, you could be doing anything with your time and you're choosing to invest into yourself and that is a big deal. So pat yourself on the back, tell yourself, thank you, give yourself a hug, tell yourself you love yourself and yeah, Let's just sink into the space of healing. This is a healing space, so let's sink in. Um, I received a message while I was driving home in my car yesterday that I am supposed to start drawing a card from one of my card decks, and whatever I draw is for the listeners of this podcast, whether you listen to the podcast the day that it comes out or you listen to it a year later, um, time doesn't exist in the spirit world. And so if the message is for you, then it's for you no matter when I draw the card. So I'm going to start every episode now, at least for the near future, until I get the message to stop, I will start every episode now by drawing a card from one of the decks. I will always link to the deck in the show notes and I will read from the deck and hope that whatever I draw supports you and resonates with you. And if it doesn't resonate with you, then discard it. It's not for you then. And that's okay. Not everything is for everybody. Um, so take what resonates, take what's true for you and leave the rest. This is the work your light Oracle cards. Um, I will link to it in the show notes because this is my deck that I reach for like pretty much every single time. Like I have several other decks. I draw from them as well. I enjoy all of my card decks. I think drawing cards is really fun and it's a great way for me to receive confirmation about, things I'm already feeling, um, or thinking, and I love cards, (laughs) but this particular deck is definitely my favorite. And I don't think I've ever worked with this deck and not received a really powerful message that was completely for me at that time. So right before I turned on this recording, I drew a card for the listeners of the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast. And the card I drew from the Work Your Light deck is called Get Grounded. I wish you could see the art on this card. There's just all of these beautiful pastel colored roses. There's a woman sitting in meditation in a forest. Um, It's just, it's so beautiful. So the message of the card is to get grounded And here is what it says in the book. You are being called to get grounded, 
to ensure that your luminous field is clear and your inner well is full. If you're not grounded, it is all too easy to get swept up in other people's energy and mistake it for your own. Your boundaries will become blurred as you are absorbing the energies around you and struggling to define what is their stuff and what is yours. If you pull this card, you are very likely an empath or a highly sensitive person and need time alone to fill up your well, balance your energy and get grounded. There are two types of people, those who draw their energy from others and those who draw their energy from within. Reflect on which one you are and carve out time each day to ensure your well is being replenished. Being sensitive is a superpower, but like all powers, it needs to be nurtured in order to be fulfilled. It is easy to get swept up in the high-frequency energies that are swirling around the planet. The quickest and most effective way of clearing all of this from your field is to ground yourself by connecting with Mother Earth. There are many ways to get grounded. One of the most powerful ones is to practice earthing by connecting to the power of Mother Earth. Spend time in nature, put your hands on a tree, your palms are extensions of your heart chakra, or walk barefoot on the earth. Do something to get grounded and connect with the earth. So I very much hope that that message supports you. And again, I will link to the Work Your Light deck in the show notes of this episode. And now let's get into today's episode. I am so excited to be bringing you a person who I believe is becoming an online friend for me. I am chatting with Holly Toronto today. I have been on Holly's podcast, Return to Wholeness, three times, and I will link to those episodes in the show notes as well if you just really want to listen to me or if you enjoy this conversation that Holly and I have so much, you can go listen to three more conversations. So let me tell you a little bit about Holly. Holly is a master level certified coach through Health Coach Institute, and she has five years of experience helping women to stop prioritizing other people's expectations of beauty, belief, or behavior so that they can live their life from a place of wholeness, fully aligned with the truth of who they are. She currently lives in the Hudson River Valley of New York with her husband and their fur baby Gatsby. And when she's not supporting her clients, recording episodes for the podcast or making dance videos on Instagram, she's hiking, exploring little mountain towns, drinking wine, trying out new recipes, or listening to podcasts. Holly is a deeply spiritual person. And although she grew up as an evangelical Christian, that is an identity that she released in order to return to wholeness. She practices a spirituality that is rooted in self-remembering, unity, consciousness, and love. And because Holly is a millennial, we also have her other details. So in astrology, Holly is a Leo sun, Aquarius moon, and Libra rising. She's an Enneagram three a human design one, three projector, which is also what I am and a Myers-Briggs INFJ. She's also the co-creator of two group coaching programs with her business partner, Julie, and she's just all about helping women to make peace with their bodies, make peace with food so that they can show up and play big in their lives. So I'm so excited to bring you this episode with Holly, and I want to tell you what we're talking about today. So in this episode, we are sharing Holly's journey into body acceptance and love and how that governs her current work. We discuss the real truth of how women have outsourced our behavior, belief, and beauty standards to people and systems outside of our authentic selves. We discuss how women's bodies have been controlled by religion, purity culture, patriarchy, shame. 
we talk about how the pure foods movement or what I call toxic wellness culture teaches us to hate and control our bodies. We share how we submit to the authority of religion, wellness culture, patriarchy, and culture in general, and how we're actually giving our power away. Holly and I talk about how women police each other and quote unquote, hold each other accountable. We share why and how love and acceptance of our bodies is the gateway back to ourselves. We explain how body image relates to reclaiming self-sovereignty and self-responsibility. We explain the role of the nervous system and trauma responses in body image. And we share practical ways that you, our listeners, can come into awareness about body image and stop searching outside yourself for authority, validation, and acceptance. This is a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it so much, and I hope it supports you. So without any further ado, enjoy. Hey, Holly, welcome to the podcast. I was on yours and now it's your turn to be on mine. Yeah, you were on mine twice, actually. Oh, I know. <laughs> the conversation went so long and I was like, I got to go, but I need, we need to finish this conversation. So two-parter coming out soon on my podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so exciting. You help women release expectations of beauty, belief, and behavior so they can live from their wholeness and... I love this. I feel like you have a really good way with words. Just a lot of what I've seen you write, it just seems like you have a really great way of making really complex things understandable in one sentence. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. That feels like a huge compliment. Um, Well, it is a huge compliment because I feel like that is what I spend so much of my time trying to figure out on Canva. Just like, how do I take this like novel that I'm thinking and turn it into a sentence that is shareable on Instagram? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of work. Like, and I, I try to keep my posts to like the 2200 characters. So you don't have to do like the finished and comments thing because people won't read that. So I like, I do edit (laughs) because I I have a lot to say too. And I I also want to be concise because, Hey, we live in a a time of very short attention spans these days. So (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a skill that I've cultivated over time. Well, you've cultivated a very good skill. So thank (laughs) you. So you and I, after we chatted on your podcast, I was just immediately, I want to have you on the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast because we have so much in common when it comes to being raised in similar religious backgrounds. We were both, both raised in purity culture. We both have religious trauma. We're both like speaking openly against cancel culture, like our paths are very parallel in many ways. And so I'm wondering if you could give us a, maybe just a brief like rundown of what your story is and how that has led to you doing the work that you do today. Yeah. Yeah. Free, feel free to interrupt me if it goes, becomes too much of a heroine's journey because <laughs> it is very <laughs> windy and long. So I've been certified as a health coach for about five and a half, almost six years, but I've been working in the space of body image and intuitive eating for about four years. And that's been the vast majority of my work. Body image is something that I have struggled with since I I don't remember a time that I didn't struggle with body image, to be totally honest with you. I remember from the age of eight years old, disliking the way that my body looked. And that was the first time that I went on a diet. And I have journals that I've gone back and read through of like, diets that I tried to go on and like writing down all the food that I ate and the exercising that I used to do and 
how that would lead to, as dieting does, this like pendulum swing. And, and I didn't actually go up and down that much in my weight, but I would go through periods of restriction and then binge and then restriction and then binge. And this is something that followed me all the way up through adulthood into my probably late 20s when I got very heavily involved in the pure foods movement, which we can talk about that intersection with purity culture and all of that stuff as we continue the conversation. But that got to a place of orthorexia. And I was constantly stressed and anxious around food. My hair was falling out. Like I, I had lost a ton of weight on this diet and was being celebrated because of it. So all of the adverse health effects that came because of that, I was like, well, it doesn't matter because I'm, I've done the good thing. I've done the good thing as a woman in our society and I've lost weight and I've kept it off and I'm so good and pure in the way that I eat. And so that filled this thing inside of me. And I became a health coach because of that. Then long story short, I came across the book Intuitive Eating, which was my entry point into healing my relationship to my body and food, which brought me into the body positive movement, which brought me into social justice culture and leftist wokeism. Again, we can probably talk about that intersection as well. but that's all led me to this place of recognizing that so often human beings, but like I see this, I work predominantly with women. That's just what my own experience is, the clients that I tend to work with, that we often live our lives through a third-party lens, right? Through the lens of other people's expectations of how we should look, how we should behave, and what we should believe. And we're so taught to outsource all of that to these external authorities and recognizing that work around body image, but then also work around spirituality and then work around our belief systems and our political beliefs and our morality, all of that, we're always filtering it through somebody else. We're actually very rarely standing true. What is true for me? What is true for my own unique experience? And so a lot of the work that I do is about peeling back the layers of all of those areas so that we can return and call back those fragmented parts to, yeah, to become whole. Oh, I love that so much. In fact, after I first met you and you talked about fragmenting ourselves, I have incorporated that phrase into my vernacular and because it so describes like exactly how I felt. It was like, I had to be one person at church and I had to be one person for my boyfriend and I had to be one person for my parents and I had to be one person at school and I had to make these grades and I had to cover up my body and I had to believe this and I had to go to church this many times a week. And it was just like, where in all of that was me? I don't have any idea where I was in all of that. Honestly, I don't even feel like I was living my life through my own lens until two years ago, Mm -hmm. honestly. And I'm almost 38. Yeah, I relate. I relate. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like I have a lot of time to make up for. So now yeah. it's like, I'm just going full steam ahead. Like, fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so there with you. So do you think that, do you think that the third party view that we are looking through as women is the patriarchy's view? Hmm. That's a really great question. And and one that I think is like a both and it's a yes, because it's to me, it's undeniable that we live, especially for those of us who grew up in a religious context or an evangelical Christian context, like we saw the lens, we saw our lives through the lens of patriarchy. That is a patriarchal religion. Um, and there's obviously many aspects of the patriarchy that exist outside of religion as well that we are um, finding ourselves in every single day. But I also I have this like suspicion. 
I don't know if suspicion is the right word, but there's something else here that feels just as important to explore. And that's like our human nature as beings to belong to and to, to have community and to feel safe within that community. And I think that deep need, because it is a need as a human, it's part of our ecology, our sense of love, safety, and belonging, um, that over time has become so fragmented, right, that we conflate belongingness with uh, uniformity, that we must all be the same in order to belong. And I don't know necessarily, like it could be a result of the patriarchy. I, I don't have enough knowledge of that, but it also just feels deeply human that we want to belong. It's just that we don't understand necessarily that we can also be different and still belong. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like we we don't think that we can belong in our wholeness. Yes. We think that the only way to belong is to fragment ourselves and contort ourselves into whoever they, whoever they are, <laughs> whoever, whoever they are, wants us to be. Maybe let's just talk about some of the ways that we do that for the women listening, because mm -hmm. awareness is 90% of the battle. And the minute we can start calling out, like, here's what purity culture did to me. Here's how my relationship with my mother affected my body image. Here's how church camp affected my body image. <laughs> like there's so many ways. So let's just like in the most non-cancel culture way possible, let's yeah. just, yeah. let's call out some of that. Yeah, for sure. Our, if we look at this through the lens of body image, cause I know we've been talking about belief and behavior and all of that stuff but like my the place where I'm most well versed in talking about this is body image and body image is so complex in the way that it's formed and it, it can it's impacted by so many different factors in our lives whether that is our religious upbringing or our race or our gender or whatever it might be like all of these intersecting forces help form our body image from a very young age and from probably around the age of four or five we have an understanding of where we stand on like the social hierarchy as far as like our bodies are concerned. It's, oh, that's a good body. This is a bad body. Big body's bad. Small body's good. Like we have an understanding of that from a very young age. However, for those of us that grew up in evangelicalism, where purity culture was not even, I wouldn't even say it's only just purity culture, but if you think about, I, I heard from a very young age that like the flesh was sinful, right? And that the heart lies. And so this like flesh and bone that I'm walking around in every single day, I'm hearing from in these very formative years, this flesh is bad and this flesh is wrong. But then paradoxically also hearing that it's a temple and it's something that I must actively work to keep pure and keep clean and to never defile through <laughs> sex or whatever it might be. And, and I think honestly, 91% of women are dissatisfied with their bodies. And so there's people relate. So when we look at body image forms, through many different intersecting factors, right? So like anything from our religious upbringing to our race, to our gender, to all to, to who raised us, how our parents saw their bodies and communicated about bodies, all of that impacts how we see our bodies, right? And probably by the age of around four or five years old, we understand where we fall in the social hierarchy ladder as far as bodies are concerned. So it's, I know this is body is good body, this body is bad body, you know, like good bodies are thin bodies and bad bodies are big bodies, right? At least that's like what we're programmed to believe from a very young age. But if we look at, from my own experience growing up in purity culture, I learned from a very young age that 
the flesh was sinful and that the heart lied. And so when I looked at this body, I was like, oh, this body is sinful. This bit into my little seven, eight year old brain, this body is bad. Again, like I had said in the beginning, that manifested itself as severe body image issues from a very young age, around like the age of eight years old, wanting to lose weight. And then as I grew and my sexuality started to wake up and and I started to be privy to conversations around sex and like understanding, okay, you're not going to do that thing. You can't do that thing until you're married. And for me, and I don't like, I'm sure many people can relate to this. My my sexuality started to wake up around the age of 10 years old. Like I, I got my period. I started masturbating. Like I, I started to explore my body from this very young age. And I felt a tremendous amount of shame around that, like tremendous amount of shame. And it also felt like it was something that I couldn't control. Like I couldn't control my sexual, like the desires that I had for sex and pleasure. It it just felt like I, it, it felt, yeah, like it was like deep, deeply like primal, which I guess that's makes a lot of sense because sex drive is totally normal. And especially around that age. And so the way that I chose to navigate that or the way that I chose to deal with that is just to simply hate my body. Like I hated her. I hated the way she looked. I abused her through dieting and over-exercising. That felt like the easier way to control what was happening in my body, the desires that I had. On top of that too, also growing up in, in a home where there was corporal punishment, right? Like where the way that you were punished was through abuse of your body. That also taught me that my body was not a safe space. I I started to resent the, the pain that I would feel in my body. And so all of that really started to form the way that I saw myself. Looking back on it, I I would say my mom was fairly body positive. Like I would say that like the home that I grew up in wasn't, maybe there was some fat shaming, but like that really wasn't what was happening. Most of what was happening was through the lens of religion. Most of what was happening was through the lens of your body is bad, right? And your body will be controlled either by this authority figure or I chose to control my body through diet and over-exercising and abusing my body in that way. And so I'll I'll pause because I know I just said a lot. I'll pause there and just see if there's anything that you want to interject. No, I was not, just my own personal experience, I was not into ever really hating my appearance. I think it, I don't know how to say this, but I feel like we should normalize this too, that I knew from a very young age that I was like pretty Mm -hmm. and I was also very small. I was a really small kid. And so I never had an ounce of fat on my body until after I had babies. So I didn't grow up with that with feeling like shitty about my body or feeling like I was too fat or I needed to control what I ate or over-exercise or any of that, which I'm really grateful for. But I definitely grew up with the corporal punishment. My stepfather, I think his favorite pastime was hitting us with his bells, man. I think he just got a lot of sick pleasure from it. Mm. And yeah, so in that way, like when you're being beaten with a belt, And I'm not going to describe that for anyone, but if that's a trigger for anyone, like I'm not going to go into any more detail than that. But when you're being beaten with a belt, I think you have to disassociate from your body because Mm -hmm. the pain is so much. And because someone who's supposed to be caring for you and protecting you is causing you harm and pain. Mm -hmm. And I just learned to go inside my head and I would do everything possible to not cry or not yell out in pain because I knew that gave my stepfather this sick satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And so that was the way that I controlled my body was just by not letting it 
like be angry or hurt or try or feel pain really. And so I definitely relate to that. And then I also relate to what you were saying about the messages that you receive about your heart is wicked above all things. And the heart is a liar and your body is a temple and you're supposed to be good to it, but then you're not supposed to do these things that feel good. <laughs> like yeah. very confusing, very confusing. So yeah, just, I'll just throw my own personal experience in there. And I'm definitely not like rail thin anymore. And probably because of toxic wellness culture, is that what you call the pu- the purity and foods movement? Is that sort of yeah, the same thing? Yeah, okay. yeah, I would say toxic. Yeah, because it's like the pure foods movement. Okay. Like, All right. Like, I never heard it called that before. So yeah. I've always just called it toxic wellness culture. So pure foods movement, toxic wellness culture, same thing. But that is like I learned to hate my body from that because the messages that I was getting, especially on social media, was for people who – ate the right foods, figured out what foods they were intolerant to or sensitive to and cut those foods out, got on the right supplement protocol, saw the right right natural practitioner, that those people healed. Mm -hmm. And that so the only way to heal was to do these things. And it didn't matter how much I liked bread or cheese or whatever else, like those foods were bad and if I wanted to heal, if I was really committed to my healing, then I even had the motto for years, nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the way that I justified denying my body pleasure Mm -hmm. and not giving it the things that it really loved to eat in the name of healing myself or healing my gut or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting. We talk about we've talked about before like trading one fundamentalism for the other, which has totally been my path and I started to back away from Christianity and purity culture when I was like 18 years old. So I just started this slow back away. And by the time I found myself in the pure foods movement or toxic wellness culture, um I had like I hadn't been in the church in, in many years. Like I hadn't, you know, been in that space, but it was like I just transferred that to (laughs) another way of trying to make myself feel like make myself because Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it with my sexuality like I I couldn't like I was not a virgin on my wedding night I definitely had sexual encounters with other people and I couldn't do it (laughs) it was like almost like the pure foods movement became a way for me to create that for myself because I did it so well like I did pure purity culture with food so rewarded for it and I came into the pure foods movement with uh, a naturopathic doctor wanting to work on my skin issues because I had acne at the time. And so I was like taking 40, like literally 40 supplements a day at times and like weekly acupuncture. And I went on the standard anti-inflammatory diet where I cut out like all of the things that I love to eat. And I like, I, it was supposed to be six weeks. Like it was supposed to be very temporary. And then I was supposed to be integrate and like figure out if anything was making my skin break out. But there was no plan for integration that never actually came up. Okay, now the six weeks has come and gone. Let's see what happens when you start to bring those foods back in. And like me just being this obedient, like <laughs> former evangelical, like that programming still inside of me was like, okay, I'm not even going to ask my naturopathic doctor if I can go back to normal eating because my skin hasn't cleared up yet. And I almost felt like I was displeasing her in a way. Like she became my new path. She mm. became the new like authority on me to the point where I remember I had been on this diet for 
18 months and I hadn't had a drop of alcohol. And I love wine. Like I love wine so much. And it's like a big part of, it's not like, I don't need wine to be social. I don't need alcohol to be social, but I just really enjoy it. And I remember I was going to New Orleans to visit my best friend and like New Orleans, you just drink, right? Like that's just what you do. And I remember like asking permission from my naturopathic doctor, if I could drink like asking her permission and her being like, you can have a couple and just like feeling like I had no authority over my body. And that's what, again, what wellness culture does. It it takes us out of authority. It takes us out of our own inner authority with our bodies. Like whether or not you're actually intolerant to gluten or not. Like I, I was like, and I, I'm not, I'm not intolerant to gluten. I'm not dairy intolerant. Like I'm not intolerant to anything. And I knew that, but I was like, this is what the authority told me to do. And so I'm just going to do it without questioning until my hair's falling out. And like, (laughs) I'm like having nervous breakdowns while I'm on vacations because I'm, you know, terrified of putting on weight. And so that's what these systems do is it just completely knocks us out of our inner authority. Yeah. You know what? As you were saying that you had asked your naturopath for permission, I had never connected those dots before, but that took me right back to a time before my husband and I were getting ready to go on a vacation with our friends. And I had been seeing my naturopath like once a month, getting acupuncture, switching out my supplements, new homeopathics every time I was going in. And also just super Nazi clean about my diet. And wanting to go on vacation and being like, we're going with friends. We haven't had any time without our kids in like four years. Do you think it's okay if I have some alcohol in there? And her being like, yeah, sure. But it never crossed my mind until this very moment. That was me putting my power in someone else's hands and acting like a child who was looking for authority for permission to do what she wanted to do, even though I was like 34 years old. Yes. (laughs) So... Bonkers. Yep. (laughs) So, what I'm hearing from you, like, this is the conclusion that I'm drawing is that whether it's the authority that we perceive in religion or the authority that we perceive in health, whether that's our natural doctor or just your regular old doctor, coupled with all of these messages that we get, particularly because we have female bodies from the time we're like little that we're always trying to find who the authority is outside of ourselves and that's who we're outsourcing our power to and because it's so normalized in our culture and every woman we know is doing it we don't see it but then we see a woman who is in her power and what do we do we criticize her yep we shame her. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about like the way we perceive authority as women or do we just like, <laughs> going to, cause that's, that's what I'm drawing from all of this is it's like, it's not anything that we ourselves ever chose to believe. It's literally because of the way that we are made to be smaller and quiet ourselves and fit inside these neat little boxes that church or school or whatever told us to fit into that we just become these like good little girls who just do whatever we're told. Yep. And we don't even know what we want. Yep. We hit 30 years old and we're like, who the fuck am I? And what do I even want? Cause I don't know. Cause I've never listened to my own voice. Yeah. Or my body that you're making me think of. If we explore this theme around 
authority or voice or like self-knowing. I'm thinking of Naomi Wolf's book, The Beauty Myth, where she really breaks down like all of these messages that we've been indoctrinated into around like what our bodies should look like that many of us don't take the time to question. And one of the most powerful quotes from that book is dieting is the most potent political sedative of our time. A quietly mad population is attractive. And like I add to that like a potent political sedative, but potent spiritual sedative, potent competent sedative, potent relational sedative, potent voice sedative, right? It is a sedative. Like it shuts us down, right? When we are in this state of constantly trying to make ourselves smaller, ignoring our body, ignoring our hunger, ignoring our pleasure, it it makes us super vulnerable to other people or other systems telling us the truth, telling us what's true about ourselves, right? We make ourselves smaller and smaller and we make everyone else bigger and bigger. All the other voices bigger and bigger. There's a Bible verse about that, right? (laughs) Make ourselves smaller so that God can be bigger. Um, And yeah, we outsource our authority. But then to your point, we also have a really hard time when someone breaks free from that. When we see a woman break free from that programming and decide to become her own authority. And maybe she stops dieting and maybe she puts on weight because her body was never meant to be that size to begin with. We start judging her. Oh, she's let herself go. She's no, and she's no longer, she's no longer adhering to the rules and she's free. Like that, that was the case for me. Like I, I was underweight for where someone might not notice that. Cause I was, I didn't look like a classic quote unquote anorexic, but like my, I was underweight for what my body size was meant to be. Like, this is where my body was is meant to be. And so that looked like weight gain. And so no one actually ever came out and said, you're a failure, Holly, because but it was like, it was definitely noticed. I, I no longer had the six pack. I no longer had, you know, the perfect diet and whatever it is. And people might've perceived that as failure, but that was actually a like deep reclamation for me. Like me just really starting to listen to myself for the first time. And so, yeah, we absolutely punish women for standing in their authority. And it becomes, it feels like a deep threat to those of us who like feel more comfortable staying in the matrix, if you will. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that we punish those women for coming into their own power and being their own authority and like giving a big fat middle finger to the the diet culture and the toxic wellness culture and the like fashion culture and like all of it? Do you think that we do that because we're jealous? Or what underlying emotions do you think are there for women who look at a strong, powerful woman and instead of feeling inspired or admiration, they feel like they need to shame her or call her out or nitpick at her or whatever. What do you think is the emotion that sort of fuels that? Of course, we know it's our pain body, but what emotion do you think that is? Do you think it's, do you think it's shame for how you feel about yourself? Do you think it's Mm -hmm. jealousy over her? What do you think that is? The message that I believe is coming through for the collective right now is that it's time for us to move past and level up beyond binary thinking and binary belief systems. This type of thinking has created nothing but division and disconnection from each other, and it's a symptom of our collective trauma. In my new course, Belief Beyond the Binary, I'm teaching you about binary belief systems and why your nervous system is so attracted to them. But most importantly, this course points you back to yourself. 
to step back into a place of radical and deep self-trust so that you can think critically, ask questions, set boundaries, show up online or in real life in your authenticity and integrity, and most importantly, heal. Because if you don't trust yourself to heal, you won't heal. Learn more about Belief Beyond the Binary at lindsaylockett.com forward slash BBB. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, I would say that you hit on two pieces, like big pieces of that. I think jealousy is a big part of it. I think shame is a big part of it. I also, the word that's coming to mind right now is, or the phrase that's coming to mind right now is like, who does she think she is? Like Mm. that, and I don't know if that's jealousy as much as it's just policing. And I think- and not I, I know not all of your listeners or even everyone that follows me is necessarily grew up in evangelicalism, but like what I learned about female interaction is that we police each other, right? Like we hold each other quote unquote accountable. If you're showing up in the way, like you've showed your upper arms at church a little bit too much above the knee, like you were held accountable for that. I, I remember as like an eight-year-old girl, I've written about this story on social media before, but I don't know if I've actually ever talked about it on a podcast. But I, when I was like eight or nine years old, I it was like after church, I was at a worship. My mom was the leader of the dance team because I went to a very charismatic church and there was like flags and dancing and like all of this kind of stuff. And I used to love to stay behind and watch them practice for like next week's sermon or uh, worship service. And I, I found this like bright green sequined piece of cloth. And it was like, oh, like to an eight-year-old, that is just like heaven, like bright green sequence. Oh my God. And so I wrapped it around my waist and I started like, sashaying up and down the aisles and like chasing my friend and moving my hips and making that like that, like singing like that and just like playing and like being in my body, being just like connected, honestly, to my sensuality at this, you know, age of eight years old. And it was so much fun. And then later a female authority in the church came up to me and said, the pastor's wife saw what you were doing and wanted me to let you know that's not okay. That was very sexual, what you were doing. And and, and the shame that I felt for that and like the, oh my God, I've done something wrong. And the good news is that I didn't stop dancing. I just took my sensuality like private and I kept, you know, doing it. But that was like my first intro into policing. And so when you ask that question about what it is, it's just, they perceived me as this eight-year-old in my power, right? Like I was being sensual. I was being playful. I was being fun. I was being free. And to them, that was like, no, we don't do that. We don't do that here. That's against the rules. And I have to have lots of compassion because I bring it back to that sense of like belonging and safety. This is what we've told, we've been told we need to do in order to stay safe. And you're not doing that thing. So you're making yourself vulnerable and probably us too. And so there, I feel like a lot of it, yes, there's jealousy, yes, there's shame, but I also wonder if there's self-protection that's happening too. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's very complex. It is totally complex. Yeah, it absolutely is. And It's almost, I don't know, whether it's inside the church holding one another accountable or whether it's on stupid Instagram with the woke leftist social justice, whatever the fuck it is, holding people accountable. You're not really holding someone accountable. You're really just shaming them into complying with whatever it is that you say the rules are. And it's this, I don't know, it's so gross Yeah, how people are like, twisting the meaning of accountability. Accountability Mm. is not something you can force on someone. It's something that someone has to take for themselves. It's a radical act of self-responsibility. Right. That's what accountability is. You can offer 
reflections to people. You can share like, hey, this is what you did and that's and this is how it made me feel. But I, I think that people are confusing accountability with punishment, right? It's like accountability and punishment are not the same thing. Like you can communicate to somebody how they made you feel, but it's up to them to filter that through the lens of their own self-inquiry, right? And decide, oh, hey, is that actually true for me? Do I feel like I showed up and lacked integrity or whatever it is. And they really get to look at, look at themselves. It's offering people the opportunity to look at themselves, not completely shut them down and punish them for something that you perceive that they did wrong. Because that's about you. That's your projection. <laughs> yeah. That's why my earlier question was like, do you think it's like jealousy that makes women be like, who the fuck do you think you are? Just, And yeah, I grew up in a really small um super conservative evangelical Christian town. Canyon, Texas is where I grew up. And you were nobody if you were not a member of the First Baptist Church of Canyon, Texas. And so growing up in that church and then the church culture influencing what it was like at school so much of the time was awful for me because I got the worst firsthand experience of how terrible girls can be to each other and just I don't know that there's anything meaner than like another 10th grade girl like broadcasting to the whole school that you're a slut because your shorts are too short that's rough yep 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 yeah and I don't know if this is a manifestation of of the patriarchy it likely could be but I think what we see on social media, and I think Africa Brooke has done a really awesome job talking about this is that systems profit off of our division symptoms profit off of our outrage. And yeah, like systems do profit off of women policing each other, right? <laughs> like they profit off of women being divided and seeing each other as competition and separate and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that there's been massive healing in that area, especially over the past several years, at least I've seen it in terms of I see way more collaboration over competition amongst women now, but definitely comes up, especially as we expand more and more women are having a voice in this space more and more women are speaking up more and more women are like reclaiming their sovereignty that there's like this mm, wait a second like we only said we could go this far right now now you're pushing the boundaries a little too far you're owning yourself a little too much and yeah i think it's just uh, a matter of expanding our capacity to like i guess hold other women in their wholeness too as opposed to policing and yeah doing what we've been programmed to do which is like I, I, yeah, policing and accountability and punishment. Yeah. And being, let's be inspired by women who are living in their yes. wholeness, man. Like all of us have had uphill battles to fight. And if we can fight an uphill battle and make it to the top of that hill and be in our power and own who we are and like be our own moral authority and be strong, just because you're not there yet doesn't mean you can't be inspired by that. Right. Like that woman has proven to you that it is possible for you to do the same. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about, I think it's about noticing because what you said in the very beginning, like awareness is 90%. And so like our default reaction and, and hey, I am not perfect at this. Let me just say that there is certainly times where I come across somebody who's like in their power on, on social media and I'm like, well, fuck her. <laughs> Who does she think she is being so powerful? <laughs> and it like, and I'll notice my annoyance and I'll notice my wanting her to, to be smaller. And I'm like, now I can look at that with a lot, like, notice it in my body, notice what it feels like, and then like pattern interrupt it and be like, oh, okay, this is my programming, right? This is how I've been socialized to relate to other women. 
how would I like to see this person? Like, how would I like to see her in her power? Would I like to see that, okay, she's reflecting back to me something that's unmet or un- underexpressed in me? Would I like to see her as inspiration? Or would I really like to be like, you know what, she's fucking annoying me. I don't want to follow her. Like any of those is totally fine. But what I did or, or what we do in that moment is we come back to ourselves. We're no longer in the space of just acting from the default programming. And then we're instead operating from a place of our own inner authority and sovereignty. Yeah. Love it. So whether the authority quote air quotes there, whether the authority is the patriarchy, the church, the diet culture, diet culture, (laughs) the left social activism, whatever it is, whatever the perceived authority is, the way we return to our wholeness is by stepping back into our own sovereignty and into our own power, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. So how does like having a positive body image factor into stepping back into your own power? Mm. I am like, <laughs> the thing that I want to say is everything. It's so much of it. I, for years I've talked about the body images or body image as a gateway back to ourselves. It's, and it's the gateway that that I found. I'm sure there's multiple gateways, but if we think about how much energy we put into hating our bodies, trying to change our bodies, trying to eat the perfect diet, I think there was a study that showed that the average woman spends about 12 hours of her week thinking about her appearance, like 12 hours of brain space. <laughs> And again, this is like, I bring it back to Naomi Wolf's quote, dieting is the most potent political sedative of our time. There's so many women that I've worked with who have put some aspect of their life on hold because they hate the way that their body looks or have felt unworthy of setting a boundary or having a relationship with somebody who values them or having the career that they want to have because, or wearing clothes that express their individuality because they hate the way that their body looks. They're always putting this life on hold. And what I talk a lot about with my clients is this idea of we have to flip the script from the have, do, be model to be, do, have, right? Because our culture has created a a culture of have, do, be, right? Once I have the ideal body, then I can do the thing that I want to do, and then I'll be worthy. Then I'll be enough. Then I'll be valuable. And this is about completely flipping it on its head. I'm, I am valuable. I am worthy. I'm enough just as I am. And allowing that to inspire how we show up in our lives, inspire the action that we take, the way that we dress, the way that we communicate, the relationships that we um, want to cultivate. And then that leads us to having the fulfillment or possibly the relationship or the career, whatever it is, more often than not has less to do with the body and more to do with like that, which actually fulfills us. And so body image to me is like when we remove the need to self-objectify, right? The need to see ourselves through that third person lens, it frees us to create as cheesy as it sounds, but create a life on our terms. It's, oh, I no longer have this barrier of my looks to creating the life that I want. I no longer need to quote unquote, look the part. I just get to pursue it unapologetically. And that's me breaking down like six months to a year of work with my clients (laughs) into like a three minute soundbite. But (laughs) that's essentially in a nutshell, how how body image relates to reclaiming self-sovereignty and self-responsibility and all of that kind of stuff. That's amazing. For everyone listening, I do not want to encourage you to just take the three minute soundbite. I really want to encourage you to look into Holly's work more. (laughs) 
<laughs> because hey, you got what you needed from that. Awesome. But the, but I don't think we can get what we need from a three-minute soundbite because mm-hmm. the way that we are um, conditioned to feel about our bodies goes back, as you said, to the time we're like three, four years old when we start learning, especially for little girls. Oh, you're so cute. Like Little girls learn to perform to get attention because that's how they that's how people tell them that they're sweet and they're cute and they're pretty and little boys get told that they're strong little girls get told that they're cute oh yeah and it's yeah so it goes back way way far so i don't think that you could just take that three minute sound bite and be like this is how i feel about my body everything is fine (laughs) i now be do have (laughs) right i now be do have um so is there a nervous system connection to Mm. how we feel about our bodies and if, mm. and if yes, which I'm guessing that there is, if yes, how do you work with people to help them identify that nervous system response, like where their window of tolerance is, how to make it bigger? Can you go into all of that? Sure. Oh, wow. I've, mm, I don't think I've ever been given the opportunity to break this down, but as soon as you said it, I'm like, yeah, there's a correlation between at least what I see between the nervous system and body image. If we just look at the fight, flight, freeze, and fawn response, like I, I see that Absolutely. And how my clients relate to their bodies. And I would say mostly, I would say, I'm trying to think, fight. Yeah, fight. They fight their body. Like they will fight their bodies. (laughs) Absolutely. With like diet, dieting and punishing militant exercise. I would say that's probably how that shows up the most is they feel this sense of because body image is like way more about what we think is going to not be accessible to us because of the body that we live in versus what we're actually seeing. It's like the meaning that we're making about the body that we live in versus the actual body itself. And so when they perceive a threat to, let's say, if I continue to live my life in this body, then I'm not going to have the relationship that I want or the career that I want. And so they go into fight mode. I'm going to diet. I'm going to shrink. I'm going to punish myself. Some might go into fight, flight, freeze. (laughs) Fight, flight might be complete disembodiment, right? Where they're just like, I don't even, I don't want to, I, I feel so ashamed of my body. I don't even want to acknowledge my body's existence. They don't even want to be here. Freeze might also be like numbing in the same way that they might use like food or exercise or you know whatever it might be to numb out. But I'm thinking mostly about fawn right now. Like that's what's coming up for me the most because the fawn response, and maybe this is because this has been my own default, but like it's to comply, right? And so they're going to, they're going to continue to do the like the behavior to make their body smaller to so that they can fit into the mold that they were told that they needed to to fit into from a very young age and so absolutely i see the nervous system playing a role in this how i help them actually explore this would be to- like very unique to the client and would mostly be about looking at what they're reacting to what's the story you're actually telling yourself about the body that you live in because for i think of A classic example for the clients that I work with is like, if I don't lose weight or if I put on weight or if my body changes in some way, I won't have love. Like I won't be loved and accepted. And so it's an actually like looking at that belief, right? And challenging it and uncovering, is that actually true? Is it true that you won't have love? And if we actually look at, you live in the body that you're in today, are you telling me that you have no love in your life? There is no love in your life. And it's starting to help them gather evidence to the contrary and build evidence to the contrary through action that puts them in a situation to negate that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. So I'm going to be devil's advocate for just a minute. So 
somebody might look at you and they might see that you are thin. You're not like a stick. Like you have a very like normal woman's body, I think, but you are thin. It does not appear that you have any sort of heavy body experience. So how do you respond when people are like, you don't have to live in a body that has 150 extra pounds of weight, or you don't have to live in a body that can't fit into a bathing suit, no matter how big it is or whatever. Like, how do you deal with that? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked this question because it's a really important one. And, and the answer that like, yes, I do live in a privileged body, right? Like I do, I'm white, I'm thin, I'm able bodied all of those things. And so I would say my, it would be ignorant of me to say that like everyone's journey to like body acceptance can look just like mine because that that's not the case. Everyone's journey is going to look different based on, on, on where they fall on the spectrum and weight stigma and fat phobia are very real things. And so I always just like to acknowledge that and be like, yeah, that's legit. You can do all of the body acceptance work in the world, no matter what size your body is and still not be able to fit into a, a seat at like on a roller coaster or at a baseball game or not be able to shop in straight side store, stores, things like that. Like, that's always going to be the case. And, and that said, I've also like, I've had that reaction from people online before. Of, oh, you live in, of course, you have a socially acceptable body. You can say that. And I felt confronted by that in the past. I felt, oh my God, they're calling me out. They're, they're being mean to me because of the body. And, and honestly, like I just come back to, I, I have, they're right. They're right. That's the, like, they're right because that's their experience of me. But bringing it to my clients, because I do work with many people across like the size spectrum. And there have been certain people who I've had, let's say, like discovery calls with who might want to explore working with me that that can't because they just they don't get how I would understand their experience. And I'm like, totally, I totally get it. But for the clients that I have worked with who who are higher on the weight spectrum, what I would say is that my experience, like I don't have the experience of going to the doctor and being stigmatized for my weight. Like I'm given the treatment that is right for my body versus a client of mine might go to the doctor and be treated for weight versus what's actually happening for them. I don't have that experience. What I can't, like the experience of hating my body or hating body like a, a woman hating their body is universal like it is so the feelings are the same even if the manifestation is different mm. and my job is to be very well versed on how it manifests differently for different bodies so that I can be aware and not like projecting or not blind to the fact that there's very real issues that are, exist for people in different bodies so that I can you know support them in being their own advocate to the best of my ability. That was a beautiful answer. Thank you. Like exactly where you landed is where I was hoping that would go. So. <laughs> so that was perfect and beautiful. So what what sorts of practical things can our listeners, if they're not in a place to be able to work with someone like you right now, what sorts of practical things, like maybe two or three things that they can do just to bring themselves into awareness about how they feel about their bodies and how to start moving forward in a way that they become their own authority and they don't rely on whoever they is to mm -hmm. tell them how to look and how to feel about their body and what's acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give an awareness piece of it and then something that I find to just be so incredibly helpful that can shift things like very quickly for people 
<laughs> so from an awareness perspective, I, I already touched on it when I was looking, when I was talking about like the policing of other women's behaviors. It's if we can start, if we can just slow down, slow down and be present with what is happening for ourselves on a daily basis, instead of just living from this reactionary place all the time and noting, no, knowing that we have choice and moment by moment, we actually might start to become aware of the stories that we're telling ourselves about our bodies so that we can begin to challenge them. Like resilience is a huge piece of this. And resilience is about taking that awareness and like having the tools with which to like at least the way, like when I talk about body image resilience, it's about having the tools with which to challenge that awareness. And so if you can just slow down and notice, okay, I woke up in the morning today and I looked in the mirror and I feel terrible about myself. I look disgusting. I look ugly. I'm so like, oh, I'm so frustrated. If you can take a moment and ask yourself the question, and what am I making that mean about me? I, what am I making the, the belief that I look you know, ugly or whatever it might be. What am I making that mean about me? Likely it comes down to some sense of love, like I'm unlovable or I'm unworthy. And can you start to, from that place, start to challenge that? Like, and start to find evidence of, oh, no, I actually am worthy. Or no, I oh, look at this, look at the love that I have in my life already. And so again, you're separating the body image from what's what you're actually making that mean about you. And, and even just knowing what you're making that mean about you, that's powerful awareness, right? The second piece that I would say is, again, we are conditioned to self-objectify. We are conditioned to look at ourselves as if we are objects that exist merely for the viewing pleasure of others. And, and we're not. We are way more than that. We are both a body and more than a body at the same time. That's the way that I like to look at this. So this is something that I learned from following Jamie Lee Finch's work, that our bodies are people, right? Our bodies are not objects that exist merely for the viewing pleasure of others. And so one thing that I learned from her is that we actually start to relate to our bodies through the pronouns with which we identify. So my body is she and her. And just through that simple switch of like no longer calling my body this vehicle or a vessel or even a temple, my body is she, my body is her, my body is a person. It completely changes the way that we relate to our bodies and our bodies. It, it's so much harder to say, I hate her than it is to say, I hate it. And that simple change, like I see that when I run like a free online experience, if I offer that as a reframe for people, like it's incredible how quickly that can start to shift the way that they relate to their body. That's beautiful. Also, I love Jamie Lee Finch's work. Her book, You Are Your Own, is oh. just fantastic. I will link to that in the show notes of this episode for sure because it is so good. And like us, she came out of this super fundamentalist, evangelical, purity culture-driven childhood and totally disconnected from her body and totally hated her body. And yep. it's so real. It's so freaking real. So real. So I've been following you on Instagram and I'm, I've been noticing that you've been releasing your coaching program. Tell me what that's all about. Yeah. I'm like, which one? <laughs> there's, I think there's it's the, the anti-diet. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I don't know when this airs, if that will still be open for enrollment, but I do. I run two coaching programs with my business partner, Julie Olamacher. One is our is called our homecoming program. And that's our body image and intuitive eating program for, for anyone who struggles with with body image and chronic dieting. But we also, as coaches, we have between the two of us eight plus years of experience doing this work. And we know that this is a massive issue. Again, like I said before, 91% of women are dissatisfied with their bodies. Many of them are health coaches that are becoming health coaches because of their own disordered relationship to body and food. Uh, and so we've actually created a training program for coaches who want to 
be more well-equipped to support their clients with these really complex issues. Because obviously we've taken this in so many different directions today because each and every single person's experience is so unique. And so we really just want to arm them with the tools with which to, to really support their clients to healing and breakthrough in, in these areas. And so that's called Anti-Diet Health Coach Camp that gets started officially on May 17th. So next week, but it opens once a year. So if other coaches or healers are interested in that, feel free to hop on the wait list if this comes out after, and then we can, yeah, get you informed on that for next year. Yeah, it will come out after. I'm so ahead on recording podcasts right yeah, now. Yeah, that's great. Just to let our listeners know, we're recording this in May, <laughs> but it's probably not going to publish until like August, if I'm honest. <laughs> but they can definitely get on a wait list yeah. for both of those definitely. programs. Yeah, d- those will come out again in probably Q2 of 2022. But in the meantime, I am filling my private coaching practice, which I explore with my clients all of these intersections like when you read in the beginning the intersections of beauty belief and behavior that's what I've what I'll be focusing on probably until like mid-July perfect oh my gosh so tell people again where they can find you yeah Instagram is probably the best place Instagram is holly.toronto and then as Lindsay mentioned you are on my podcast twice my podcast is still new I only have about like 11 episodes 12 episodes out it's called return to wholeness yeah go check it out Yeah. I I am a listener of your podcast now, actually. Mm. I really love your podcast. And I think the favorite part of your podcast for me is the rapid fire questions. Yeah. I love the rapid fire. I love the rapid. (laughs) No. And it's not that like the other stuff that people say isn't great, but after you've listened to a few episodes, it's like interesting to compare like what does she say intuition is versus what do I say intuition is? Like, what is she reading? What am I reading? What are they reading? It's You start to see these like different parallels and differences in people too. And it's so fascinating. So I really love listening to your rapid fire questions. I'm so glad. (laughs) I don't have any rapid fire questions. Maybe I should copy you. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. I've been inspired by many other podcast hosts to create, create rapid fire questions. Yeah, do it. It's fun. Oh, I will. I think I will. Okay. Here's a rapid fire question. Who are you learning from right now? That's a great question. I, I, I'm trying to work on, because I, I have a tendency to go wide instead of deep. And so I'm like learning from like a billion different people at one time. And then I get really confused and scattered. <laughs> but right now, who I'm really enjoying learning from is two teachers specifically, because I'm choosing to go deep with them and I invested in their courses. One is Madison Moore. I'm doing her Awaken Her Soul course. And I love the way that she talks about sovereignty and um, self-responsibility. And I just think she is such a balanced voice in this space of like how we can be responsible for ourselves, but also take responsibility for our communities and the world around us. Like I just, I find her to be incredible. So it's an honor to know you and women like you, Holly. Yeah. I feel the same way, Lindsay. Oh, amazing. Thank you for coming on today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Did you enjoy the show? Awesome. Here's what you can do next. First, make sure you're subscribed. Second, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few moments to rate the podcast. Finally, you can partner with me to keep putting this healing information into the world. For just $5 per month, you will help keep the show ad-free and freely available. If you want to go deeper and connect with me and other trauma healers in community, I invite you to join the Trauma Healers Circle. This community is where the magic happens. You get access to bonus podcast episodes, monthly Zoom calls, and most importantly, you'll find your people. Go to lindsaylockett.com forward slash circle to join.